Our Old Testament lesson is found in Genesis chapter 22. We are reading verses 1 through 19. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offered him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took it in his hand, the fire and the knife. So went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice." So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, as we come today, we come to your word humbly, and we ask that you will teach us. We confess that our minds are dark and narrow, but there is light and there is breadth in your spirit. And so we ask that you speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. In 1980, Eugene Peterson published a book entitled A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's become something of a Christian classic. Perhaps a few of you have read it. But it's important to know the history of that small book because it didn't begin as a classic. Actually, Peterson had written it in his study while he was serving a congregation in Maryland, and he submitted that manuscript to 17 different publishers, 17. 
and they all rejected it. He was finally accepted by one publisher, InterVarsity Press, but he had been told over and over that there was no niche in the market for this book, that this book was irrelevant to the concerns of contemporary North Americans. The publishers, what they were reacting to was the mundane, non-flashy approach to the Christian life that Peterson was presenting. The book walks through the Psalms of Ascent, which if you're familiar with those, is Psalm 120 through 134, and they were originally used for Israel's pilgrimages to Jerusalem. As they traveled, they would sing these psalms, and they were to go up to the city of Jerusalem three times a year. And so Peterson adopts these psalms and speaks of the pilgrimage of the Christian life. And he talks about the Christian life not in exciting ways, but in long, slow, and sometimes difficult ways that are fitting to a pilgrimage. He follows the example of Scripture and some other great Christian writers, and he picks up on the idea of the Christian life as a journey. And that theme resonated with people. It sold thousands and thousands. It resonates with people because this is precisely the way that we experience life. We know the twists and the turns, the ups and the downs, the beginnings and the ends. There is, in fact, a beginning, an inception of the journey. There's a path in which we walk. There are those twists and turns, those sufferings and failures, those triumphs and achievements. And there's an end to the journey where all of our striving ceases. The idea of a pilgrimage makes sense to us. And it also makes sense to us what we find in the life of Abraham. As we've tracked along from Genesis 12 and now arriving in chapter 22, the last main chapter in Genesis devoted to Abraham, where we find him reaching the highlight, the main, the denouement, the climax of his story as a pilgrim, a sojourner. And as we come to this final chapter about Abraham, we learn more about, his pilgr- more about the pilgrimage that God has taken us up into. And specifically, we're going to see three things about that pilgrimage. First, we're going to learn about the demands of the Christian pilgrimage. Secondly, we're going to see the rigor of that pilgrimage. And finally, we'll discover God's provision for that pilgrimage. And so let's look at each of these. And first, the demand of our pilgrimage. The story of Abraham begins in chapter 12 where he lives in Ur among the Chaldeans and God calls Abraham and he promises him land, blessing, and descendants. We learn there that Abraham is 75 years old at that point and he receives this commandment from God that he is to go from his country and his kindred and his father's house to the land that God will show him. It was the land of Canaan. But he's specifically instructed to go, to depart, to leave. It's then intriguing for us in chapter 22 because once again, this command to go appears. It appears nowhere else in the story except at the beginning and the end. These are the bookends, the frame of Abraham's life. 
he is commanded in verse 2 to go to the land of Moriah and to offer Isaac there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which God will tell him. And it's the significance of this command to go that grabs our attention. It does appear at the beginning of Abraham's journey with God when he is called to be God's servant. And then it, it appears here at the end of Abraham's journey where he's called to sacrifice his son. Abraham in both instances was to go. And he was to go believing and trusting in God's promises. And this informs us of, some, of something incredibly important about the Christian life. That is that from beginning to end, from inception to conclusion, from start to finish, that the Christian life is a journey of faith. Abraham's journey has been a long one. We followed him from 75 and we're somewhere into the hundreds at this point. We're not exactly told, we're just told after these things God tested Abraham. You may think that after all that he's been through, all the twists and the turns and then the triumphs, the strength of his faith that emerges as he matures and as he grows, that Abraham was going to get to coast for his final years. But that's not the case. He isn't just somehow coasting at this point. That Abraham is called on at this point, when God comes to him and tests him, that he must continue to exercise faith in God's promise, despite not knowing what God was doing and despite not knowing how God was still going to fulfill his command. You remember that God's promise was that Abraham would be a blessing to the nations of the earth and be a blessing through Sarah, that they were going to have a child. And here this child is. His name is Isaac. And God is now instructing Abraham to go and sacrifice that son. What exactly is happening? What is God doing? And this is the demand of the pilgrimage that's being put upon Abraham. He's being asked to trust God in a continuous exercise of faith, that he's to believe that God will make good on his promise, even when he can't understand, even when he can't see how that's going to come together. And friends, it's crucial for us as we listen to this part of the story to hold two things together about this. And the first is that the pilgrimage does have a beginning. We see that beginning very clearly in chapter 12 and in chapter 15, that God calls Abraham. He calls him out of a pagan nation, and he calls him to be his servant, to go into the land of promise. And then he promises to bless him and that he will multiply his descendants. This is the beginning of Abraham's pilgrimage. And you and I, too, have had a beginning of the Christian pilgrimage. God calls us, renewing our hearts, granting us faith, bringing us to faith in Jesus, giving us the promise of the forgiveness of sins, the renewing power of the Spirit that frees us from sin's captivity, and then the promise of the world to come that lies ahead. Abraham was called to leave everything behind that he knew, then in chapter 15, when he believes the promises of God, 
when he believes that God was going to make his descendants as many as the sands upon the seashore and the stars in the sky. And he walks out and sees all of that. And we're told that he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was justified. He was made right with God. And he was justified by faith. And we always have to hold on to this about the Christian life, that it has a beginning, that the pilgrimage has to start. And Abraham entered into that journey, and so must we, looking to God's promise and believing that it's true. But then there's a second thing that we have to hold together with that, and that is that the pilgrimage continues You see, in Abraham's walk, in the journey that follows, he's not earning or meriting anything from God. He was to trust and he was to obey. And what he's doing in that is displaying the genuineness of his faith. He's doing so by trusting God, especially in those moments where he doesn't know and understand. And we've seen over these weeks that Abraham didn't always get it right. Massive collapses took place in which he retreated into, into Egypt. And then he takes Hagar as a, as a wife. He brings forth the son who he thought was going to be the heir of that promise, but that was the wrong way. We've seen him stumble and wander around quite a bit. But we also know that Abraham was maturing. He was growing in trust. He was growing in obedience as he believed God's promise. And this is what we can't miss that we are not given permission by God to tear apart this journey. We're not given permission to just focus upon the initial part of it, the initial call. And we're not given permission just to focus on the end, that we have to hold it all together. Because you see here, Abraham was being sanctified. He was growing in obedience and trust through the course of his life with God. And there are many versions of Christianity available that peddle something quite different than this. Some will emphasize the beginning of the Christian pilgrimage. And they'll focus so exclusively upon the beginning of the pilgrimage that they never discuss the ongoing importance of continuous faith. And what do you do when God comes to test what's in your heart? When you meet trial and temptation, when you meet difficulty... And friends, it's critical for us to hold all of that together. That yes, the Christian life begins in conversion. And the Christian life continues in sanctification. That God is at work in us. And there's an ongoing path of pilgrimage. And we want to hold together these two things that we see in Abraham's life. Our standing right with God. And God's ongoing work in us to develop trust and love and fear and obedience. And so this is what we learn about the demand of the pilgrimage. Second, we see the rigor of this pilgrimage. The rigor is easily located in this passage. It's gut-wrenching. God instructs Abraham in verse 2, Take your son, your only son, whom you love. It is as if God is probing the wound. Take your son, yes, your only son, yes, the one you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains 
of which I will tell you. This was a radical and it was an unusual demand. Child sacrifice in Israel was counted as an abominable thing, but yet it was also recognized that the firstborn, find this in Exodus 22 and 29 in later Israelite law, was to be redeemed by a sacrifice that the firstborn belonged to God. And it's important to recognize further that this perplexing command from God, which is not usual and not repeated in Scripture, it's specifically tied to this promise. God is asking Abraham to sacrifice the very son whom God said he was going to bring blessing to the world. And so this puts Abraham in a quandary. If Abraham does this, how will God fulfill his commitment to bless the nations of the earth through him? If he makes good on what God commands him to do, how's it all going to work out? And so he is in a moment of having to think through and work through. What exactly am I supposed to do? What are my duties and responsibilities? And when you arrive in verse 3, what you find there is remarkable. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. The narrative is intentionally crisp. It moves straight to Abraham's obedience Without hesitation, without negotiation, Abraham, who has stumbled and faltered in the past, we've seen him really blow it. He entrusts himself to God. And friends, this is the rigor of faith. A radical obedience of entrusting ourselves to God's promise, no matter the cost. And this is what Abraham, as he comes to a point of maturity in his life, this is what he is an example of for us. And it's remarkable. He receives this impossible commandment, and he answers it, saying yes to God. And so often, we've seen in Abraham, and also in the other characters of the story, something very different. We've seen the tendency to bargain and negotiate. And we know that well ourselves if we're honest about our own responses to God. We can find ourselves much more like Lot in chapter 18. When he was told that the city was going to be destroyed, we learned that Lot lingered. He hung on. He wanted to stay a few more hours And he had been instructed to leave, and he was to join Abraham and his company. But Lot then begins to bargain with God. And he strikes a bargain that he would be able to go to this little city. He just wanted to go to another place. He didn't want to go out to Abraham's tent. And friends, we enter into that type of bargaining and negotiating. We want things to work according to our own wisdom we don't want to trust, entrust ourselves to the promise of God. But the pilgrimage that you and I have been put on, the road that we've been asked to walk, requires that we trust. It requires that we live by faith and that that faith lead us into obedience. And the rigor is real. 
The rigor is true because our wisdom is tested. Our trust is tested. Do we believe? Do we say, yes, God, we believe you will make good on your commitments? And finally, we also see God's provision for this very arduous journey. With all of its demand and all of its rigor, we see something unexpected here in the passage. Abraham takes Isaac up the mountain. We're told that he has the fire and the wood, but he has no lamb. In verses 7 and 8, Isaac asks where the lamb is. If you can imagine the moment, the pathos of that. And then Abraham simply explains that God will provide what is needed. The details of the next moment are nearly unbearable. If you can imagine the duress, if you can imagine the tension and the conflict for Abraham who had waited over 25 years for the son, and now God is saying, take his life on this altar as a burnt offering of sacrifice. In Hebrews chapter 11, we learn, though, of Abraham's internal dialogue. Listen carefully to these verses, 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And so what was in Abraham's mind? Abraham, through all of his trials, through all of his shortcomings, through all of his failures, here in chapter 22 has arrived at a place where he trusts in God's promise and God's fidelity to his word and his reliability and his commitment to get this done. And what we learn here is that he believed that God was able to even raise him from the dead. It's a moment of absolute radical surrender and a tremendous exercise of faith going on here. And so he endures all the conflict and trusts himself to God and his promise and it's then that the angel breaks in. Abraham! Abraham! The relief must have been tremendous. Verse 13 and 14. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. The name is not difficult for us to appreciate and understand. God provided a substitute sacrifice for his son, a ram. In doing so, the worshiper identified themselves with the innocent and pure offering and there was atonement made. This was the idea of the burnt offering. And in God's great plan of salvation, this event, 
strange and mysterious to us, was plotted to be a shadow, to be a foretaste of another event. Because you see, in 2 Chronicles 3, we learn there that this mountain, Moriah, is actually the place where the temple was to be constructed. It's the location in the area where our Lord Jesus came and was crucified. It was there where all the sacrifices were to be made that pointed forward. Those two were shadows, and they directed us to Jesus. The crucifixion, his death, once for all offering for the sins of all human beings. And Isaac's story points us to this moment that God will provide. And friends, that's the truth of it today for us. Because in our pilgrimage, in all of our stumbling, we're not able to achieve and we're not able to merit and we're not able to earn. That there are too many failings and they, they stack up day after day and week after week and year after year. But we're reminded here right at the end of Abraham's life that there's something else that takes place that sustains that journey. That what provides for us in the midst of that journey is that sacrifice. It is through that sacrifice that we're made whole. It is through that sacrifice that our sins are atoned for. It's through that sacrifice that we have relationship with God. And Isaac points us to that full and final fulfillment found in Jesus. It demonstrates to us God's provision for us in this pilgrimage and all of our failures we're allowed to approach. And friends, this is what we learn about from the life of Abraham. As we look at his twisting and winding story, as we consider all of his failures, we see that in all of this, God was at work, bringing maturity, bringing wisdom. And in the continuous exercise of faith, Abraham didn't waver in unbelief, and he didn't collapse in his old age, and he didn't grow tired and exhausted and make excuses for himself. But rather, he answers the demands and the rigors, and he trusts God. And this is what we too are called called to that same radical kind of faith that then produces obedience. Not an obedience that earns something from God, but the obedience that flows from faith. And this is what your God welcomes you into. Deeper and later into the story, knowing all that Jesus promises to you, knowing all that he secures, the forgiveness of sins, the new life, and the world to come. Exercising faith and believing and trusting. And so know that the provision is there to sustain you. It allows you to answer the demands and to hear the rigor and frees you to offer yourself to God fully and finally in faith. Let's ask for his help. Father, we confess the daunting nature of everything that is here before us today and the radical obedience of Abraham we give thanks for this provision that was made, though, for us and all of our failings. The provision that sustains us and the provision that motivates us, the provision that secures us and makes us your own. And we ask, God, that you would help us and that you would help us in all of our unbelief, that we would entrust ourselves to you, 
knowing that you make good on every word of promise that you've sworn to us in your Son. Sustain us in all the demands. Sustain us in the rigor. Remind us of all of your provision. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.